Hi, friends, Ray here, and uh, so glad you joined us for this uh, podcast. We're journeying our way through uh, our message series called Origins, and it's a walk through Genesis, Genesis 1 to 12. Uh, and we're going to bounce off today on Genesis 4. And because there's only limited time in our messages to kind of answer every question, and sometimes just the, the desire to want to apply what's in the text or trajectories that flow from the text. But before I introduce my guest today, I want, I want to remind you or introduce you to Bruce Springsteen's song titled Adam Raised a Cain, because that's what Genesis 4 is about. And uh, the lyrics go like this. Uh, in the Bible, Cain slew Abel, and east of Eden, mama, he was cast. You're born into this life, paying for the sins of somebody's past. That he, walked his ho- that he worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks his empty rooms looking for someone to blame. You inherit the sins, you inherit the pain. Adam raised a Cain. And he's telling the story of Genesis 4 of uh, Cain and Abel and Adam and Cain and using that to explain his own story and dysfunctional relationship with his dad. So, Dr. Amy Kellogg, that's why you're here today <laughs> for lots of reasons. Now, you're not the kind of doctor, if I had a heart attack, you'd do me any good, right? No, you're the no, other kind of doctor. No, absolutely not, yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you specialize, you're one of our counselors at church. You head Compass, which we're so thankful for, what a great ministry. Now, let's explore a couple of the themes that spring out from Genesis 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Firstly, dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. Just walk us through um, the place of origin. We've been looking at origins, the place of the origin of families and how they impact us. You want to walk us through the impact of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, Genesis gives kind of the overall origin story, but each of us has a, kind of a personal origin story as well. And and so much of that has to do with our, our families and, and how we how we grew up, our upbringing, our parents, our siblings and that kind of thing. And and a lot of times we think that, you know, as adults, you know, we sit here thinking uh, we're just interacting day to day. We're doing our thing. The past and, is the past. And the past is the past. It doesn't have anything to do. Oh, if that happened, I've just I've forgotten about that. That's not affecting me now. What we actually know is it's affecting us massively at a, a subconscious level. All of those things that happened early in our earliest years have impacted so deeply the way that we see the world. And so oftentimes, especially in counseling, you know, it's it's a lot of it is just helping people understand those kind of dynamics, how how these these stories of, of our own origins have have kind of impacted us and the messages that they've they've sent us. So it's actually a, a very important piece of our, you know, Now I growth. find whenever I overreact, mm-hmm. that's usually a little window into something in the past. You know, I always think we're either trying to prove our mother or father right, uh, wrong, yeah. uh, or still trying to get their approval, even though they've, they've yeah. died even, but they're still in our heads playing playing whatever part of the story that they're playing for good yeah, or for ill. That's right. Yeah, and that's a good way to think of it. You know, a lot of times we we know sort of in our gut that there's just something underneath this. It's not just the thing that's happening in the present. There's something that, that really hits us hard. Maybe we're an insecurity or maybe a, a fear or something that, that uh, hurts that has gone on um, that oftentimes we haven't, haven't processed. I know for me um, – you know, in my 30s, probably, I sort of went, had a moment of of kind of going uh, longer than a moment, but, you know, like a, a period of time where 
after I had my own children, I, I began to really reflect on my own story and certain factors in my own family of upbringing. And, and sometimes we don't want to do that because we, we're like, oh, I love my parents. They did the best. Or I love my you know, siblings. Or it's too painful. Or, yeah, or it's too painful. I don't want to think about that. Um, and, we, and we sort of avoid it. Um, but by doing I say, that. Because it sometimes feels disrespectful. Yes. Yeah. But the reality is. It's not dishonoring them. It's just coming to terms with what is. Yeah. yeah. And and I think something that, um, you know, I've come to recognize personally, both personally and professionally, right, is um, is that just because, you know, like people and especially the people that are closest to us, often even our families, we've experienced hurt. We've experienced harm from them sometimes. Some people have deeply dysfunctional kind of dynamics in their family and they have deep hurt. Um, and, and so sometimes, you know, we, we wrestle with, uh, wanting to almost name that, uh, or not, we don't want to name that, but it's actually healing comes through actually naming the hurt. And I can still love my parents. I can still, um, for even for come to a place of forgiveness with, you know, a sibling or a person who has, who has hurt me, um, and yet still name the hurt that has actually happened and named it. It seems to me you can't forgive them properly unless you've named it, you know, and even if they passed away. Um, But naming actually in the Bible is actually important, isn't Mm -hmm. it? It's part of almost reclaiming uh, Mm -hmm. our control back in a world that we feel out of control. So if I'm able to, in fact, I was talking to someone just this morning and they were just the act of them naming their pain in the presence Mm -hmm. of the person who hurt them. Absolutely. Wow. Already they're starting to be empowered. Not mm-hmm. to, it wasn't vengeful. It was just, I need to tell you this story. Yeah. 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 I think it's um, Dan Allender who who does a lot of things around, you know, uh, around trauma and around our, our, our origin stories and things. He was talking about how 50% of the, 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 the process of some of that healing is just naming, is just becoming aware uh, or bringing to the surface some of those deeper hurts that we maybe we've, we have experienced in our past. And uh, like you said, it, it's it's important for us even to move forward. We have to be able to say, "Hey, here's some things that that went on." And that's going back to your comment. Like that's that's why when this situation happens, it triggers something for me. So it actually becomes really an important piece in us healing and growing and and becoming, you know, sort of a a, a newer you know version of ourselves that that, that works through that pain. Now you said you use the word "be curious." Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. what did you mean by that? So, so I think uh, oftentimes curiosity is one of the best things that you know the 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 best ways we can look at uh, a lot of things in in counseling and in reflective you know even just reflecting on our stories. Um, it's it's being able to. Um, you know, almost have that kind of like that posture of like, huh, I'm not going to judge this thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, um, figuring out all the all the all the bad things about it. But I am going to notice and I'm going to be curious and I'm going to pay attention to those things. Um, and when it comes to say, like, uh, I know, actually, I know when Brad and I, my husband, we went to um, couples counseling for for a season. And one of the most 
profound things we did was we did what they call a, a genogram, which is where the, you just basically, you know, you map out your your family of origin. And they, they sort of ask What do you mean you, by that? Like your parents, your brothers and mm-hmm, sisters? Yeah. And then grandparents and, okay. and, and whatever Why generation. Why is that helpful? It, well, it goes back to this word curious, right? Because as uh, the counselor was like asking, you know, hey, what do you, what do you, you know, tell me a few words about this person or that person. And oftentimes we don't, we, we sort of know, you know, we know them and we... But we we don't take the time to really be curious and think. And when we put it all kind of on one A3, you know, paper and we really step back and then thought, okay, let's look at the things that we're dealing with in our lives. How are some of these these patterns in these both good and bad? I mean, some of them were very positive and other things, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe the way that families through generations dealt with emotion or or connect communication. So, for example, it's. Crying is bad or it's weak. Yeah, or we don't so talk about our emotions. We just get it. on yeah. and we put our yeah. heads down and we do yeah. things. And and um, it was very insightful to us. And we were able to do that in a, in a posture of curiosity that then let us look at that and say, these are the things that we want to carry on in our family legacy with our own daughters. And these are the things that we actually wanted to stop here. Right. And it became a really powerful I, I tool. I love the fact that we get the generation, we become the generation that can turn the tap, close yeah. the tap on yeah. some of those sins that get passed on. Right. Not so much generational curses, but sinful patterns that are That's passed right. on, unhealthy ways That's of relating. Right. It's a great honor because you then get to influence the generations right. from you. But if you don't stop to take a look at some of that, okay, and, and going back to some people have extremely um, painful stories. And that can be, you know, don't get me wrong, that can actually be very difficult to go back and look at. So we're talking about trauma. And probably good to do with a professional. Absolutely. Yeah. So so sometimes in our curiosity, it's more than curiosity. It's actually I need to to go into this with with help and 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 be able to to find some some grounding and some ability to work through that pain. And there are times where we can go back to people who maybe maybe there's abuse in the past or maybe there's um, other other types of um, hurts or dysfunction, but um, sometimes we can go back and we can address that. But oft- oftentimes it, it may not even be safe to do so, emotionally safe even or physically. But but there's something about the process of actually of actually engaging that story and engaging maybe the hurt or the harm that that has been done to us that it that in itself becomes healing and helps us to make choices about. Our future and how we want to how we want to do those things. It's amazing how it can release you from some of the addictions we have because mm-hmm. you go to those places to mask the pain and that's right. You go to that place that's you know, to numb you from that wound that you keep avoiding. That's right. I, I, in my previous church, it was a counselor. She said, if you don't deal with this stuff. Uh, those emotions go down into the basement, start pumping weights on you, yeah. and uh, they become mean and nasty yeah. on you and, yeah. uh, and to others as another, well. Another thing, another phrase that is really helpful for me is when we bury the past, we bury it alive. Right, yeah. It, it's going to come back yeah, up, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it does come back up yeah. over and over. Yeah. And most of the time, if we really reflect on the patterns in our lives that just we get stuck in, there's there's oftentimes a link to something. Maybe just think about like something somebody said to you early on that just you took that in you didn't really understand everything but you go never again am I going to let this person hurt me right and I'm going to I'm going to create a world where you know I can protect you ask me that, that even hypothetically I go to a, a train station uh-huh. I can tell you take you to the spot 
where my best friend said something to me and That's it was right. the end of our friendship. That's right. And I reckon it took me more than six years to get over yeah. it. And when I met him in another context, I still couldn't talk to him about it. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, that was powerful. One line, one yeah. sentence. Can I just ask, one of those traumatic things is favoritism in families. Yeah. I mean, you've got the Cain Abel story, right? Where, And that was, a, that was God uh, favoring Abel because he gave his best and Cain who gave his his leftovers and and, uh, and then Cain resenting Abel and letting that bitterness develop into anger and, and tragically murder. And so we've got the first murder in the family and it's we're only four chapters into the Bible. Uh, and so that that's a different kind of showing favor. But favoritism, you know, it can be very dysfunctional. Um, can you want to talk about that at all that, that you've come across in your counseling? Yeah, um, this is one of those one of those dynamics, right? There's a lot of things. There can be sibling rivalry as well. There can be favoritism or parents um, sometimes maybe not meaning to, but sort of uh, treating. There's a feeling of treating people, kids in the family differently. Can I just say just on that, sorry for interrupting, um, you naturally connect with some of your kids more than others. You love them equally. And I know my, my wife connects naturally with my son and I with my daughters. We got, we just, now we love, I love my son dearly. I'm so proud of him. Um, but, uh, there's that kind of natural connection that can easily, if it's not balanced properly, can, can cause unintended pain, can't it? That's right. Yeah. And, and many times it's, it's not intentional. Sometimes it could be, you know, there can be really dysfunctional things, but, but oftentimes it's not intentional. I know my, my eldest brother, you know, probably still to this day would say I'm the favorite and yes. the, I'm the, I'm the youngest. I'm the, I'm the baby. I'm the only girl. Yes, right? I was cursed with being the favorite as well. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I mean, well, why be. not? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but it, it can be, I mean, probably to him, that was, that was a really difficult yeah. thing. And I think it goes back again, even as a parent, you know, I'm, 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 I'm wanting to be, it goes back to that, that awareness and that, that openness to be able to sort of talk through some of those things and, and even ask, sometimes ask the hard questions of our kids. I've asked my daughter that, you know, like, Hey, do you, do you feel like, you know, um, the other one gets the attention more or there's, you know, and, and I think that, that, that staying, um, present and, and really being able to talk through some of those things helps, helps kind of navigate some of those maybe sort of those natural connections that start to feel like favoritism. Yeah. Okay. So what do you do where it's not imagined? Sometimes it's imagined favoritism. Sometimes it's insecurities that make you think a certain member of the family is favored over you. But sometimes it's as clear as the nose on your face and you're basically, oh, she's my favorite or he's my favorite. And it's sort of public without any qualification. How do you journey someone living with the fact that your father, mother, or both of them explicitly say to everyone how proud they are of your sibling and at the very least say nothing about you. You've been so that is such a deep wound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard, right? And this, get, this sort of goes back to the fact that we can't always change those, those circumstances. Um, so let's take a sort of a more intentional kind of, um, situation like that or, um, and, and we can't always, you know, we can't always change the the parents. So if somebody's come to me and that's their it's their felt experience, um, a, a lot of a lot of times the best we can do is kind of work with with their own ability to to say, um, you know, of course, like how my how my family, how my parents think of me is 
we all kind of, in a sense, want approval from yeah. our families, like yeah. whether we it's mean, natural. we might pretend we don't, but really yeah. we do. Yeah. And we kind of grow up in that sense. But um, but there is a uh, I guess there's a there's a point in of, of being able to say, OK, this is the, the, the acceptance of this is kind of what's going on in my family. And I can't necessarily change that, but I can look at, OK, my heavenly father, right? How does he see me? And what is the, um, you know, what is the way that, that, that I can look at this, um, in my identity and my, um, sort of that sense of, of that need for approval, even just like exploring where, where does that, where does that come from? And where do I need to find that ultimately, where do I need to find that approval or that, or that sense of, um, acceptance? Now, I'm thinking of a song. Uh-oh. I won't sing it. It's not Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I am who you say I am. Yeah. You know, yeah. that just for me always captures, I'm defined by what my father in heaven says of me. That's right. Not what my earthly father yeah. says of me. Yeah. And, and I mean, I would love to be able to help people heal their earthly relationships. And when possible, absolutely. Being able to, sometimes parents just might not have any idea that that's how they're coming off. And if there's that opportunity, you know, hey, let's. Let's facilitate a conversation or here's how you can go and approach and say, this hurts me. Right. So there's all of those things. But we can never guarantee that the person in, on the other in the other chair is going to respond to that in the way that we, we do. Some, and sometimes they've passed away and you can't do it. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes I remember I did it. I, I felt like it was the making of me as a man when I had that conversation that, with my I dad. Remember this I about, just yeah. it was a defining moment, mm -hmm. but I didn't get there automatically. It was a bit of counseling that led up to that yeah. point. And only when I understood the fatherhood of God could I actually talk to my father in a non-demanding way. And he didn't quite get it. You know, it was like I was speaking another language, but I needed to name it. And I was kind of, I felt like I was set free after that. I, I said what I needed to say because I didn't need him to change as I entered into the, the, the direct conversation. I just want to move this on because of time. This is excellent stuff, Amy. Have you ever thought of being a counselor? Because you're really good at it. <laughs> now, um, Lamech comes after. He's a, is in this the, the line of Cain, and it's not a particularly good line. Uh, and uh, and he boasts if uh, Cain was avenged seven times, then he's avenged seventy times seven for his ungodly behaviour. And then Jesus, you know, much much later, picks up those words when Peter says, "How many times do I have to forgive?" And he thinks, you know, seven times. You know, he thought because I think the Pharisees only off. And he required people to be forgiven three times. And, and, he, and he, he must have thought Jesus was going to be happy with seven times. And, uh, and then he says, no, 70 times seven. In other words, your posture is one where you forgive. Anyone who's been forgiven, forgives. But there, that can get misunderstood. Can we just briefly touch on what are the, some of the pitfalls that Christians fall in when they think about forgiveness? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think the things that I commonly come across right and i'm sure that you do as well is there's the, the the one the obvious one is that people struggle really struggle to to actually forgive they don't you know there's just a, 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 a just an anger and a frustration and a you know and it becomes very toxic it becomes very almost poisonous to them um by holding on to this hurt um so you know we're talking about naming hurts well sometimes we can almost over identify with the hurt Right. We can we can take that on and almost not know how to live without the hurt. Now, what is that? Is that because if I forgive you, you'll get away with it? Is that? 
Yeah. You know, that Oftentimes, justice isn't being done. Yes. And I demand justice. If, if I forgive you, then it's almost like saying what you did was okay. Right. And, and, and we can feel that way, mm-hmm. right? And we can feel like if I've suffered, mm-hmm. you know, at the hands of someone, I don't want them to, yeah. you know, uh, I want them to suffer too, yeah. right? There's a sense of, of if you've hurt me, I, I don't want you to be happy yeah. or I don't want you and to the irony is you're usually this. the only one who's suffering. That's right. So it becomes a, almost like a, a poison that you end up drinking yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. And so people can get really stuck in this. And mm. I, I've seen it a number of times where it's almost like they stop knowing how to uh, how to be them without that pain. Right. It so defines them. Yeah, it becomes yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Um, but the other the other pitfall is right, and, and Christians are notoriously bad for this, to be honest, because we feel like, oh, we're supposed to, you know, forgive. We're supposed to. That's what the Bible says. Let's do it. That they actually kind of spiritually bypass the whole process, right? And it's kind of like ends up being. It's it's sort of like I don't. I'm going to avoid actually going through the the pain of that, or thinking through that, or even saying you've hurt me or naming it. Right? I'm just going to. Slap a Bible verse on there and be like, hey, this is just, you know, I just need to move on. But just like we said, if we if we bury that, right, it, it, it really we're not really resolving it and it'll surface in other ways. Um, and so I think oftentimes as Christians, even as people helping. Right. So even even helping a friend who's going through this or whatever in, in a in a way that like we we mean well by it, but we can sometimes just say, oh, but you should just, you know, just forgive, just forgive. And we end up short circuiting that whole process of of pain that I think that really I, I think that God does want to heal. But oftentimes he wants to do a deeper work in the midst of that healing. And if we short circuit that with a Bible verse and a quick like you need to forgive, um, people actually miss out on that, on the depth of that that process. I remember hearing on the radio a man straight after an attack on a church where this man's wife got killed. And he was talking about forgiving the very terrorist who killed his wife. But subsequently I heard he was not in a good place for a long time. And I think he spoke the kind of, it was a beautiful thing to hear, but it was actually too fast and it was heroic but almost harmful for him. The other thing I remember is Gladys Staines. You know Gladys Staines? Her husband uh, and two sons were set alight in a camp, in a car, in a Christian camp in Orissa in India and uh, by ex- religious extremists, and they were killed. And, uh, you know, she, she, her posture was one of forgiveness and deep forgiveness. And I interviewed her at my previous church, and I said, how did you manage to forgive? She said, I think what helped was I learned to forgive the little things in life. So when the big one came, I felt like I was more prepared. And I thought that was a wise thinking that if you if you're if you're if it's part of you that you're you've traveled down the journey of processing, forgiving the small things, you're much more in a better position to to be able to forgive the big things without the masking and the covering up. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 likewise I think when we even reflect on our own humanity on our own need for forgiveness, right? From both other humans and also from God, right? We we can put that in into into perspective. That doesn't mean it's it's easy, but it is there is a sense of of that active, just like you're saying, the active small ways of just practicing forgiveness in the everyday, you know? And and what's interesting is actually we do in order to forgive, and we sort of said this earlier, we have to acknowledge the hurt. 
And I know for me, for a long time, that was really difficult. If somebody said, oh, I'm sorry, I'd be like, oh, no, don't worry about it. It was almost like I couldn't acknowledge it. And I sort of shifted more toward like being able to say, you know, I forgive you. And and it might have just been a small thing where really I wasn't that bothered by it. But it was the practice of saying, yeah, that, that did hurt a little. And I'm going to name that hurt, but I'm also going to extend forgiveness. And in those little exchanges, just much like you're saying, we're practicing that, you know, so that hopefully maybe as we experience deeper hurt, we've we put some of that into into some practice. And I'm feeling that it's what it does is you get to taste that God's way is the best way. Yeah. You get the freedom because it actually you're you're actually blessed while taking experiencing the the suffering yourself and not retaliating. Because I always think forgiveness is overcoming the art of revenge. You know, you're you're wearing a bit like Christ did at the cross, really. And and the other thing is, I find I'm not having to wonder whether I'm going to forgive because Jesus says He makes it part of the discipleship deal, right? Like. Uh, I have forgiven you. I expect you now to forgive others. Right. So it's not a question of if now my energy needs to be focused on it's on a journey. I'm on, it's a process. It's not going to be overnight. I have to go through the, uh, the, the non-pretending, but, but I'm not wasting my time thinking like forgiveness is not an option. It's in it, a good illustration. I've heard once of this is like, if you think about being in the, on the, on the beach and as you enter, you know, it's like as you enter the ocean, as you put your feet in, you're in the ocean. But it's not the same as, you know, you're, you're still on a journey when you actually keep walking out and you get. And that's oftentimes we can begin the process of forgiveness, but but not really be, you know, just have our toes in it. Right. But we're saying we're turning our will to say, I, God, help me to be forgiving. I am in a process of forgiving. But this sort of light switch mentality of like, I've got to just, you know, I'm either I've forgiven them or I've not forgiven them. Actually, that that il- illustration of just kind of like. Man, as I go, you know, Slowly and as I as I wade grace. in and as I understand more deeply and as I work through the pain and as I as I actually acknowledge the hurts, you know, I'm I'm going deeper and deeper into that forgiveness. So eventually, you know, actually I can I can say, wow, OK, I am, you know, I am in a, a place of 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 deep forgiveness. That, that may be a journey that lasts a lifetime. Right. And <laughs> and forgiveness doesn't mean that, you know. That what someone did is there okay. are consequences never, yeah. or necessarily even reconciliation because it takes two, doesn't it? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, and it, yeah, it doesn't mean it's going to work out um, yeah. with that person. It doesn't mean, um, yeah, because we can't control what what their response is, but we can make those active yeah. choices. But I think that key is is by forgiving. Uh, somehow we associate forgiving means saying it's it's okay that you hurt me, that the hurt wasn't that bad. And actually, it's not that. It's saying in spite of, even though, you know, you did hurt me and I am choosing to forgive this and let it go. Got to get on that peace train. As I said, yeah. you could be in the last carriage, in the last seat, but it's good to get on it because yeah. uh, it's God's way is the best way. Are you going to sing that song too or no? Oh, oh peace train, we need Cat a, Stevens. We you know, he doesn't do by, yeah. you, um, you know, mm. uh, obviously yeah. not by the name Cat Stevens anymore. <laughs> But that's for another day. <laughs> we well, need I'm to ready to sing about it. Restrain. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. That was so yeah. helpful. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to touch on other issues, but our time has run out. But all that means is we get to do this again on another occasion. <laughs> see, that's me cornering you. See, I'll go okay. back, coming back. <laughs> thank you so much, <laughs> Amy. And thank you for uh, uh, coming alongside and keeping the conversation going because uh, that's what we want. We want the Word of God to fill all of our life 
in natural ways because it is a living and active word and uh, encouraging one another, um, uh, you know, forgiving one another, but encouraging one another, teaching one another, learning from each other, not letting the word of God stay for the preacher on Sunday. It's too good. Let's enjoy it all week long. And I uh, hope you can uh, get, tune into our messages if you haven't heard them already on YouTube or on uh, uh, one of the social media outlets. But look forward to seeing you again next time we explore Genesis 6 to 9. Whoa, the flood, where every inclination of the heart of man was only evil all the time. Whoa, looking forward to that podcast. See you later.